don't know what uh, what watching that and hearing that does to you. I have two daughters, and that just makes me angry. Just makes me mad. What's out there? What's being done to people? You know, Karen is her name. She wasn't necessarily captured and and forced into slavery. (laughs) But she ended up being enslaved to men, being enslaved to the circumstances of her life and the, the choices and the consequences of choices that were made. She ended up enslaved to drugs, her own needs, and prostitution. And again, she might not have been, been forced into it, but she was trapped. There was, there was no way out. There's, there's other forms of slavery that we've seen over the years and throughout history. And we, we heard from Carrie about the history of slavery in this country. In my home country in Germany, we, we all have seen the images of people being enslaved for their ethnicity being placed in concentration camps we have modern day examples in in Africa those are the images we we see children forced into armies all over Africa enslaved today this is happening today and I think we all no, when we watch this video or when we see these, these images, there's something that stirs up in us, doesn't it? There's, there is an anger, there is a, a sense and desire for justice and, and maybe a passion to do something about it. An anger, an outrage. And it's, it's that imagery. It's that imagery of slavery and the passion, the outrage, the anger that leads to wanting to do something about it. That's at the heart of the name of God that we're looking at today. It's at the heart of, of who God is. And it's essential that we understand that so that we can relate properly to him. He is the redeemer. And I, to illustrate that, I want to ask Jim. Jim, would you come up here real quick? Come on. Let's do this. All right. Yeah, that's all right. Go down, 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 down. No one likes this. (laughs) No one likes this. But this is the imagery that we're talking about this morning. The imagery of being 
tied up, of being enslaved, of being trapped in God's passion to do something about that. He is the Redeemer. We talked last week about, about Yahweh, about the great I am. I am who I am. I, I am who I'm going to be. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we talked about how, how God, how Yahweh deserves our, our honor and our worship. And so today we're, we're looking at the continuation of God revealing himself to the people of Israel. He introduced himself to Moses at, at Yahweh. And, and a little bit later in that story, the same people that he introduced himself to as the great I am begin calling him the Redeemer. Before we go into that, I would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here, right here with us this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are Yahweh, that you are the great I am, that you are who you are, you're going to be who you're going to be, that you're going to do what you are going to do. And Lord, I just pray as we continue to look at your story with your people and how you introduced yourself, how you continuously revealed yourself to them and different aspects of you and your work and your character. But as we look at that this morning, I just pray that you would reveal yourself as the great Redeemer, not just to Israel, but to every one of us. Or would you speak this morning into our hearts and reveal yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. So God introduced himself to Moses as, as Yahweh, and he called him specifically to, to be used to, to redeem his people, to free them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Today, the word redeem means a little bit something different to us. We, we redeem a Groupon, right? Actually, I did that yesterday. I redeemed a Groupon at Fast Carts with my son. I, we, we purchased something. It's ours, but it's, it's not really ours yet. We have, a, we have a piece of paper, and we go and we, we give it, and we receive something in return. We, we redeem it. Another uh, way that we use the word redeem is that somebody redeems himself or herself. We, we see that in the context of somebody maybe disappointing and not living up to his reputation. We see this, uh, hear this with athletes a lot. My, my favorite athlete, my favorite basketball player, Dirk Nowitzki, for years fell short to win a championship with his Dallas Mavericks, and it was always pinned on him. And last year when they finally won and he, sh he came through big time, a lot of people talked about Nowitzki redeemed himself. He restored his reputation. That's the context that we often hear this word. And this is what Webster says about redeeming. Redeeming means to buy something back. It's very important. It's not just to make something your own. It's to make it your own again, to buy it back, to repurchase. It's the context of something that was already yours and somehow has gotten lost or displaced or has new ownership, but it's rightfully yours. And, and redeeming is the context of buying it back, bringing it back to its rightful owner. It means also to free from distress or harm, to free from captivity by payment of ransom. To extricate or to overcome something detrimental. To relieve somebody by the, by the payment of ransom. Here's the story of why the Israelites started calling God their Redeemer. 
We got to go back a little bit in, in that whole story and go to, to Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 17, Yahweh, God, introduces himself to a man called Abraham and he makes a covenant with him, a promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7. And he called the place Massa. Wait, that might not be the right reference. Oh, I'm in Exodus, that's why. <laughs> That would explain it every time. Genesis 17, verse 7. God says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, talking to Abraham, and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So God is making a promise of faithfulness to Abraham and his descendants. And then in that story, we see Abraham has a son very late in life who, who marries and has a couple of sons who have sons themselves. And eventually we come to Joseph. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, Jacob being the grandson of Abraham. And they find themselves in a land that God had promised them, but there was a drought. And they were in danger of really the whole, the whole clan was in danger of dying because of, because of this drought and this famine. And so God through lots of circumstances the life of joseph is incredible he actually gets sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up in jail in egypt and god raises him out of that to the second highest position in egypt the this right hand man to pharaoh himself and then god uses joseph and 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 his wisdom to save his whole clan who is who is not in egypt yet to bring them to egypt to save to save them through this famine so God brings his people who he's made this promise to in Genesis 17. Through Joseph, he brings them and saves them in Egypt. And then over years and years and years, hundreds of years, they grow within Egypt as a, as a Hebrew ethnicity. And then they become enslaved by the by the Egyptians. The Egyptians see them grow in numbers and start getting fearful. These Hebrews are getting too powerful. And what do they do? They shackle them. They enslave them. They force them into labor. The whole nation. And that is when God calls Moses. That's when he calls Moses out. And, and, and at the burning bush we talked about last time. And he identifies him as the great I am. And says, I will use you, Moses, to keep my promise that I gave to Abraham. And be faithful to my people. And then he uses Moses through lots and lots of circumstances. Also a long story. Read Exodus sometime. And he frees his people, his nation, the Hebrews, the Israelites, miraculously out of Egypt. He convinces Pharaoh through a, a series of, of plagues. And then eventually he leads them out. He miraculously splits the Red Sea and lets them walk through on dry foot. And then, and then drowns the Egyptian army that comes after them when Pharaoh changes their mind. But he leads Israel into freedom. I want to read Exodus 6.6 6 for you. Exodus chapter 6. Verse 6 says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. 
So God tells them, I will free you. I will redeem you. You are my people, but right now you're under the control and power and the yoke of somebody else. But I will come and I will free you. I will redeem you. I will buy you back. I will bring you back into freedom to to worship me, into freedom to let me be your God, into freedom to let me be your guide. That's where the name Redeemer come from, comes from. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were his to begin with. They were rightfully his people. He had made a promise to them to let them be his people. They came under slavery. They were taken from him. They were under somebody else's power, and then God powerfully moved on their behalf to redeem them and bring them back into their rightful place, setting, setting them free to be his people again. This is really the, the defining moment of God's dealing with mankind. Why is it? He, he explains it in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9 says this, the Lord did not set his affection on you, talking to the Israelites, to the Hebrew people, the Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. What he's saying is, I chose you not because of anything on your behalf, not because you were powerful or a great nation. Actually, it was one man, Abraham, and God chose him. He says, I chose you just out of my grace and love for you. Not on, not on behalf of anything they did or accomplished. And then he goes on. But it was because the Lord, Yahweh, loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he gave to Abraham that we read about in Genesis, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, that Yahweh, your God, is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. So God is saying, I am faithful. I am going to free you. I'm going to redeem you simply because I have chosen you. You are my people and I am faithful to you. And then in Isaiah 47, verse 4, he says, Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, Yahweh Almighty is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Our Redeemer, Yahweh Almighty, is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Redeemer. See, this is redemption. This is the definition of redemption. Something is rightfully yours. Somehow it gets lost, it gets taken, it gets enslaved, it walks away maybe on its own behalf. And then you do whatever it takes to bring it back into that rightful relationship, into its rightful place. This is what God does. He did it with his people, the Israelites. And he did this for you. And he did this for me. He's not just the Redeemer, Yahweh Redeemer of the Israelites. He's also your Redeemer and mine. See, that's why this moment of freeing Israel was a defining moment, not just for the Israelites, but for all of history. Because it foreshadowed, by doing this for the Israelites, he foreshadowed and showed us what he was going to do later for all of us, for you and for me. So how is God your and my Redeemer, and why do we need one? 
Why is this falling apart? <laughs> Why do we need one? See, again, the, the definition of redeemer is something is rightfully his. And this is what, what I want to tell us and, and make clear that we, you and I, are rightfully God's in the first place. Whether we acknowledge that, whether we want that or not, whether we're aware of that or not, is, is really irrelevant. You and I are rightfully God's. See, last week when we looked at Yahweh, we started by looking at him being the creator. He created everything. He created you and me. Scripture tells us he thought of you before the foundations of the earth. He thought of you personally, who you would be, who you would become, how you would, would live your life, your character traits, your strengths and your weaknesses. God knew you. He created you with a purpose. That makes you rightfully his. Because he's creator, he gets to make the rules. He knows what's good for us. He knows what's good for you and me. And he knows what's good and best for you and me is being with him. Because that's what we were created for. Our primary purpose is to be in an intimate, loving relationship with our creator, God. And because he created, we are rightfully his. He has gotten the, the patent on us. And, you know, we, we accept that truth in life in every aspect. If somebody creates something, somebody has this, this idea is birthed and they put it together, they create it, they, they patent it, it becomes their property, it belongs to them. And people fight for that right all over the place, don't they? And, and we, we, we make that assumption, yes, you created, you made that. Man, that's yours. We, you and I, are God's creation. We're His. We are rightfully His. We belong to Him, whether we want that or not. In Isaiah 43, 1, this will not be on the screen, it says, This is what Yahweh says, He who created you, He who formed you, He summoned you by your name, You are mine, He said. You are mine. And that's what God is telling you this morning. He says, You are mine. You belong to me. You and I are his. And somehow, like the Israelites, we have, we have gotten lost. We have maybe walked away. We've been enslaved. We've been in chains and we've been helpless. You know, when I think back to that video of, of Karen, the number one sense that I get from her was a sense of helplessness. Didn't you? Just this, this complete helplessness in that situation see somehow what has happened with God's creation that is that we as his creation have rebelled against him we somehow have gotten the idea that we know better that we know better what's good for us that we know better how to do this you've seen these movies where where Robots take over humanity, take over the world. You know, kind of the horror scenario. We've created something, and we've created a monster that all of a sudden gets a mind of its own, and it, and it tries to take over the world. Spiritually, that's really what's happened. God's created us, and all of a sudden, we've started thinking we can do this on our own. We don't need you. We've walked away from him. Bible describes that in multiple ways in Romans it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it says none of us is righteous not even one none of us 
are doing what's right in God's eyes. None of us do. None of us meets God's standards. And the problem is that we're helpless to do anything about it. You and I are helpless to fix that situation, the problem that we're really made to be his, but that somehow we find ourselves like this, away from him. We're helpless when it comes to pleasing him. And if we're honest, we're all pretty helpless even in managing life, aren't we? At times we're, we're helpless in managing our relationships, helpless in managing our marriages, our families, helpless in, in managing our careers or finances, sometimes helpless in managing our bodies and, and, and taking control of it. There's areas in our lives I know where we all find ourselves helpless to do what's right even though we want to. And even comfort and wealth doesn't cover up our helplessness. We're helpless because we're trying to do this on our own apart from the creator who we really rightfully belong to. We're helpless because we're trapped in the consequences of our own decisions. Paul describes this so well in Romans where he says, I, I constantly do the things I don't want to do. And the things I do want to do, I find myself not doing. Don't, can't you identify with, with that kind of helplessness? We know what's right, we know what we want to do, and we don't do it maybe in different aspects of life for all of us. We find ourselves helpless. And really, what Paul describes is, we're, we're bonded, we're, we're tied up somehow. We're not doing what we know we should be doing. We're not doing what's right. We're, we're tied up. But most of all, we're absolutely helpless in dealing with what causes that separation from God and that is what the Bible calls sin is making decisions acting living our lives outside of God's will for you that's what sin is that sin is at the heart of the problem of our disconnect from our creator God the Bible calls it being enslaved to sin literally being enslaved not being able to do anything about it and let me just tell you, as, as one of your pastors, I find myself at times enslaved to sin. Do you? You do the things you don't want to do. You don't do the things you know you should and want to do. We're helpless. We're separated from God, from our creator. And we, we can try to be good people. We can put our best effort into being moral and being kind. And we will always find ourselves falling short. Because what we do with that is we just, we just trade from being enslaved to sin to being enslaved to self-sufficiency and trying to work this out on our own. Just trading one slavery for another. And this is where the Redeemer comes in. We're rightfully His. He's created you and me. He loves you and me. And he is passionately hurt by our separation from him. He sees us like this, and he feels like or more so than how we felt when we watched that video, when we heard that story, when we see those images of slavery and we know it's wrong. And so he, as the Redeemer, did everything he possibly could to return us to him, to repurchase us, to redeem us, to bring us back. 
You know, the way, the way I felt at the end of that video, the way you felt at the end of the video, have you, have you guys seen the movies Ransom? It's a little older with, with uh, Mel Gibson when his son, I believe, gets taken and, and, and all he wants, what is, all he wants is his son back. And he has all this advice of what he should do and shouldn't do. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my son back. I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay what they are. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Another movie that illustrated that really well, a little more graphic and more recent, is Taken with Liam Neeson, where his daughter actually gets captured, taken, and, and enslaved in, in, in sex slavery. And he goes on a mission. He's going to do whatever it takes to get her back. I've had a tiny sense of that once when our son got lost at a, at a fun park. I didn't know if he was taken. I was, obviously, I was hoping he wasn't, but he was lost. I'm telling you, I know how old he was, two or three. When he was gone, when he was lost, separated from me when he shouldn't have, I'm telling you, I went into animal mode. I, I, I ran all over that park. I yelled at people. I yelled at the people at the gates. I didn't care what they thought of me. My thought was, I'm going to get Casey back. I'm going to get my son back and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him back. See, that's what God has been thinking ever since Adam and Eve walked away from him. He sees us like this. And he says, you are mine. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. I created you. I made you. I thought of you. I made you exactly the way I wanted you. And I have unbelievable plans for you. With me. But we've walked away. We all have. And as passionate as we feel as humans about about bringing our children back to their rightful place with us. How passionate we feel about other people who are mistreated and, and this innate sense of freedom of this is just wrong. These people need to be set free. It's just a taste of the passion that Yahweh, Redeemer, feels about you and me. To be redeemed, to be ransomed, to be brought back to your rightful place with him. So he did whatever was necessary to bring you back to him, to redeem you. And one of the definitions was to pay a ransom. And that's literally what was necessary. To pay a ransom for you and for me, to buy us back, to redeem us, to repurchase us and bring us back to our rightful place. And God did the unthinkable. He went to the utter extreme of giving the life of his son for you and for me. See, that is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus paid the price on the cross. Because death was necessary to justify, to, to, to forgive your and my sins. Because you and my sins, you and my walking away from God deserved separation from God. And Jesus paid the price that was necessary. God did whatever he needed to do so that you and I can be bought back out of this into a relationship with his son. I'm telling you, this isn't fun. This is what he did. He set the captives free. He set us free back into the creation design of being free 
to be with him. I want to read a couple of Bible verses to you. The first one is from 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Wait a second, is that? Oh, I'm in chapter 1. Man, what's going on with me today? Chapter 2, 5 and 6. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used... Is this right? I'm, man, I'm in First Thessalonians. Golly. <laughs> I'm really sorry. All right, here we go. First Timothy 2. They all sound the same. <laughs> For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And then Colossians, I'm going to get this right. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Jesus is our redeemer Jesus paid the price he paid the ransom to buy us back to bring us back into our rightful place that we were created for in the first place to set us free from slavery to sin to set us free from from the grip that, that this world has on us and the desires of this world and to set us free to receive him and be filled with his spirit. And I love how in the end here of Timothy, Timothy's um, 2 verse 6, he says he paid the ransom. He's the ransom for all people. He's paid the ransom for everyone. The problem with this is that, that many of us are set free, but we don't live in that freedom. That's why I think in Galatians 5.1, the verse that I, that I put on my arm is um, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I mean, I said, why, why twice? Okay, he set us free. No, he set us free for freedom because he knows that so many of us, we've been set free. I want you, you have been set free. Jesus has unlocked the chains. He's opened the door and you are set free, but so many of us just aren't living in that freedom. We don't accept that. We, we, we stay in there because that's maybe all we know. But he wants us to take advantage of, of what he has done for you and for me. He's, he's unshackled you. Don't go back and tie yourself back up. Live in the freedom that he has given you. You have been redeemed. I want to tell you that you have been set free. All it takes is saying, thank you, Jesus, and walking through those doors, walking into the freedom that he's offering you. He's redeemed you. He's bought you back. He has repurchased you. He's brought you back into a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the living God, the creator of everything. You've been bought back. You've been restored to your creation design. Will you accept that? There's an end to Karen's story, and I want us to watch that real quick. You know, I would pray, literally pray, when I was out there. I remember going to get the drugs. You know what I had to do? I knew I had to change. 
but I didn't know how to change. I knew I had to change, but I didn't know how to change. You know, you might not be in a situation that's as extreme as, as Karen's here. I don't know what your life story's been. I don't know how you came here this morning. And maybe sitting here seems like a 25 to life sentence to you right now. But I want you to know that you don't have to walk out of here the same way that you came in either. Maybe you're sitting here, whatever your circumstances are, and you know, you know in your heart, I need to change. Something needs to change. I don't know how to. Nothing I've done has worked. She was so desperate that going to jail seemed better than where she was. And she was set free in jail. In jail, she found the freedom that God talks about here. In jail, she was redeemed into a relationship with God. So whether you you have ever stepped into that freedom that Jesus has already paid for for you or not, if you never have, I just want to encourage you. I know you need change, and you know you need change. And I'll just tell you, God tells us, you and I cannot accomplish it. That's why he became the redeemer, to redeem you, to bring you back to him because he knows that's the place you belong. That's where true change is going to begin. That's where true freedom is going to come through the forgiveness that Jesus paid for on the cross. And then there's, there's those of us who've, who've made that decision to step into that freedom, who've accepted Christ's forgiveness. And yet we find ourselves at times, don't we? enslaved by sin by choices outside of god's will and we we wrestle with that and and even as followers of jesus we wrestle with the with the effects that life events have had on our lives and i want to tell you god's redemption doesn't fall short of that yes he wants to redeem our souls and that's, that's primarily what, he's, what he wants to do for you and for me. But in that process, he wants to redeem the, the hurts and the pains and the wounds that life have inflicted on you throughout life. I, I just want to tell you, I cannot even imagine who Christian Kokoscheid would be if I hadn't been redeemed by Christ. I can't begin to imagine... I don't want to begin to imagine the husband that I would be, the father that I would be, the the man that I would be apart from Christ's redemption and the freedom and the healing that he has brought into my life continuously. So if you are already a follower of Jesus, don't feel like this redemption has already happened and is complete. He continuously wants to, to continue that process of redeeming What's going on in your life? Redeeming one thing at a time that keeps you in bondage, that keeps you enslaved, that keeps you from experiencing that true freedom that he has for you and for me. See, once you've stepped into that freedom, we got to continue to fight for it with him. Because he comes into your life through his spirit, he will indwell you and he will give you the strength to keep fighting to live in that freedom. It takes daily reminders to remind yourself, I have been redeemed. And my Redeemer lives, and he lives in me. 
And then he will fight that battle for you to continue to expand that freedom and live in the freedom that he has for you. However you came in here this morning, you don't have to leave the same person that you came in as. I know all of us have to change and all of us fall short of being able to accomplish that change on our own. I want to close with reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to get this right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, and all of this is a gift from God. This redemption is a gift from God, from Yahweh, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, if you have been redeemed, if you have accepted that, if you have walked out of that prison of your life into the freedom that Christ has ransomed you for and bought for you, now not just do we continue to fight for our spiritual freedom, we become freedom fighters for everyone around us. Letting them know the freedom that's there. Letting them know that Christ has paid the price and urging them, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And if you hear one thing this morning, hear this. Come back to God. You can come back to God because he has sent a redeemer who has paid the price and ransomed you and brought you back into that relationship with God that you were created for. He has already set you free. Will you let him be your redeemer this morning? Let me pray. Oh, Lord, I just, I'm just overwhelmed by the grace that you have poured into my life. But I know I have a long way to go. There's many areas in my life where I need to allow you to bring more freedom in. But Lord, I do know that you have set me free. I know that you are my redeemer. I know that you have paid the final price. And that I can now live with you and explore that freedom that you have for me. And Lord, would you just reveal yourself as that Redeemer to us here this morning in our hearts? Would you draw us back to, to you? Would you give those of us who, who have not had the courage yet to step through that open prison door, to, to, to step through that this morning, and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that you want to give me. Thank you for the price that you have already paid. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to continue this day with and by celebrating communion. Communion is, is a, a sacrament that Jesus told his disciples to celebrate. And it celebrates exactly what we were talking about this morning. Communion celebrates the ransom that Jesus has paid. 
It's a reminder that Jesus has paid for your sins and for my sins. We read about it in, in 1 Corinthians, among other places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, Paul retells this. When he had given thanks, when Jesus, this is in the context of Jesus' last dinner with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke, broke it, broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in re remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What Jesus was saying was, I'm going to pay by, by having my body broken and my blood spilled for you I'm going to give my life for you and so when you come together celebrate that and remember that remember the ransom that I've paid for you so I want to invite you this morning this, this is a celebration for, for all of us who have stepped through that door who have said yes thank you Jesus thank you for having paid the price for my sins thank you for your forgiveness I need you come into my life and you know what? If this morning was the first time you accepted that ransom, the first time you allowed him to be and become your redeemer, then let that be your first celebration of that. So if you love Jesus, if you have accepted his, his ransom, his sacrifice, then I just want to invite you during this next song to come up. We have under the, the um, uh, napkin here, there's pieces of bread. Just take a little piece and dip it into the, the grape juice. And then eat it whenever you want to. You can do that up here while you pray, or you can take it back to your seat and just eat it in your own time. And um, this is for your time, you and Jesus, just thanking him and remembering what he has done for you and for me. And I'd ask you that, that we would come down in the outside aisles and maybe return back to your seats in the middle aisle to have, to have a better flow. Let's celebrate him as our redeemer and remember what he's done for us.